All right, everybody, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. And today I'm joined by an uh, interesting character from across the pond, as they say. I believe you're my first British guest. I've now had a Kiwi, I think an Australian, a couple Canadians. I believe you're my first British guest, Mr. Rob Gearing from Spartan Precision. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Well, I'll take that. Thank you very much for the invite, Hunter. Yeah, was, man. I actually was in New Zealand a few weeks back, and that's a pretty epic part of the world, isn't it? I haven't had the chance to go yet. However, I got invited by my first Kiwi guest a few weeks ago. So, and I tell folks like, don't invite me places if unless you're serious, because I will buy a ticket and show up. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you've got to do that. That is yeah. definitely before you leave the planet list. You've got to do New Zealand. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's. I I would say, I mean, a lot of people could justify justifiably argue against me, but I'd say it really is the mecca for proper alpine hunting um yeah it's uh they've got some fantastic mountain ranges the scenery is epic weather can change quickly well anyway you've got mountains that can happen but and the guys out there tend to be very fit um and very capable hunters and uh yeah it's a it's a, it's a great place i've got a, a a lot of fondness for new zealand absolutely lots of uh lots of opportunity lots of cool species that you can't like, you know, like the tar, for example, you can't really hunt them on their natural home range, um, but you can in New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking to try to do that. If it works out, maybe in 24, if not, definitely in 25. Um, definitely want to take advantage of that, man. Well, I was actually meant to be out there now. Um, oh, yeah. NZ Hunter TV, some friends of mine, and we were going to do an, uh, an alpine ice, a bit of ice climbing, go and try and shoot a chamois and a tar. Uh, helicopter in, climb this mountain, come out. They had little one-man whitewater rafts all set up the other side, and we were going to bow it up. Sounded epic, but I um, I've had this ongoing hernia problem. I'm an old man ah. now, I'm sixty, and this hernia has been hanging around for about the last twelve years. And this time last year, I was up in the Arctic, and um, with a very good friend, Ulf Linthoff, who wrote the Swedish hunting manual. But he's a real specialist at Capercaillie hunting. I don't know if you know Capercaillie. Ever heard of them? Yes, Giant I've heard it said different. Like is Capercaillie? I've heard some people say like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not um, saying I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just that's how I've heard it. <laughs> I think it means um, uh, horse of the woods. In okay. Because they when they take off, they sound like a horse galloping. Yeah. What is it? I'm not. It's exactly a giant sure. grouse. I think it's the okay. biggest mouse in the grouse family. Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah the Scandinavian guys hunt those all the time. Yeah. You do it with rifles, so yeah. you, you know, and you're spotting in the trees, and it's super exciting. But we're up there, and it got down to minus thirty six centigrade, not Fahrenheit. But I guess they're getting pretty close about there, and it just got too too bloody cold to hunt, really. And even the birds start snow holing at that temperature. So yeah. we just successfully froze our bits and pieces off. I actually frost damaged an eye. Actually, it took weeks to recover. It literally—I've never had that before. Couldn't focus anymore. But wow, hey, you're taking me down a rabbit hole, Hunter. And I. <laughs> That's all right. No, I mean, I'm getting older myself. I mean, I'm still young, but I'm 37, and you know, I train hard to be able to hunt in the mountains because I didn't grow up in the mountains. So I'm kind of starting at a deficit. Although I've been able to keep up with some of the best in the business, I got to say. But you gotta you gotta keep yourself uh, prone from injury. I mean, this game is almost it's almost in some ways like being a professional athlete. Yeah. Um. So you really got to recover. Like, I mean, you know, uh, like a hernia or an injury like that. Like, if you get it at the wrong time of the year, in my space, I'm in. Like, if I miss a whole season, that's that's bad. It's not sexy. <laughs> it's not sexy. No. No. What well, mine popped out on this this Arctic hunt. It, it pops out all the time, but I used to be able to push it back in. Oh god! And um, and I, this, we were on these really long skis, and they're like eleven foot long, and they're super skinny, but they're very good because the snow that time of year can be really soft. And I'm not, I, I can ski on normal skis absolutely fine and cross country, but these we were climbing on these, and they don't have skins, and I just wasn't familiar with them. No excuse, just a stupid old man. But Orf is a real mark. He grew up on them, and. Uh, I must have fallen over like five, six times the first day. And when you've got a pack on, it's really cold. And you're, you're, you, and it's like being in a bowl of soup. 
you put the, sk- the sticks down and you just sink in the snow. Jeez. And so the hernia was popping out and I was going, oh. and I thought, right, stuff this. I've got to get this sorted. So I got it operated on. In okay. June. I was going to say, you're going to get surgery or what? Yeah. Yeah. I had it done. <laughs> but then in New Zealand, uh, when I was out there in December, it popped again. Oof. So I was going to go straight back to New Zealand to do this climb. And anyway, I thought, no, I'm not risking this popping out in the middle of a mountain. And, uh, the yeah. consequences aren't sexy. I don't want a poo bag yet, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys like us, like, I'm even, this is probably an overshare, but, like, I'm supposed to get a vasectomy. My wife wants me to get a vasectomy. And, like, I just don't want to do it because I don't want to be, like, recovering for a week. Like, it's so hard for guys like you and me, I feel like, to slow down. So, but you have to do it. You know, if you don't get it taken care of, it could, you know, be chronic issue, right? Well, Hunter, I had that done in my, I had two kids and I, I went to the, I took my missus to the surgery, said I'm going to, and she, she got, she went, broke down in tears. Surgeon said, you're not ready for this yet, Mr. Gearing. So we went back two more kids later. I got on the bloody bus. <laughs> How was your, I mean, while we're on the topic, I'm asking, I'm asking uh, older friends of mine, how, how was that experience for you? Was it bad or not too it bad? Fuss about nothing. Fuss yeah. about nothing. I literally, uh, the guy, the guy did it. He did it under local anaesthetic. You, I had to wear a special pair of pants for about a week or something. Just held everything in together. But I don't. It was really a non-issue, an cool. absolute non-issue. I have heard other people that have whinged like hell on it and said it was horrible. So maybe I was just lucky, but seriously didn't stop my games and yeah. that's the problem now i've got to go back and have this hernia thing and he said when you can when can you come in and i said well i've got motorbikes and stuff in patagonia maybe that's a good time to ride because i'm not going to be really straining myself on a motorbike but i said i'm not going to stop doing stuff for a month i just as yeah particularly at my age i don't want to give up you know yeah One you don't day, get that many months left no no exactly <laughs> i've got to stop the clock and uh just squeeze as much in as till the knees and hips give up. Yeah, man. It becomes unbearable, but it's not giving me any chip. It's just, I don't want it popping out and then be not get it back in. And I'm some remote area that wouldn't be sexy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that. Well, um, I love talking to guys like you, entrepreneurs, inventors, adventurers. Like you seem like, uh, I don't know that much about you, but just from the outside looking in, you seem like a really kind of Renaissance man. Obviously it looks like you enjoy some nice art and uh so i think you're a really cool guy so that's one why i wanted to have you on just get to know you a little bit man so um just just tell me a little bit about like your life and your background because uh i think you've done some really cool stuff you know in the hunting space but also outside the hunting space so just give me a little uh background and maybe maybe run me through one of your most epic non-hunting adventures yeah yeah we can do that so sort of first off i mean i I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I love hunting, I love fly fishing, love climbing. Um, and I sort of say all of those are just tools or excuses to get outside in nature. So for me, it's about being in remote areas. I'm not what I would say a huge team player. So I like to do things with a small crew of people I tend to know well or get you soon get to know people very well in those environments. Oh, yeah. And we've all got our weaknesses, we've all got our strengths. And it's great if you can complement your weaknesses with other people's strengths and your strengths and Vicky Verky, and that can work out really wonderfully well. And the other way it can work out spectacular screw up if uh, if you're all bad at navigation, for example, not my best <laughs> forte. But so I grew up in the UK. Um, I started life as a rock rock climbing was my main thing. I was passionate about that because hunting's really difficult to get into in the UK. Right. We don't have any public land. So unless you're in what I'd call a a country, like a farming family community or gamekeeping or your stuffed load of cash, hunting isn't a natural step to get into. It's not impossible, but it's pretty challenging. Yeah. So for me, it was easier to go and buy a couple of climbing ropes and find a few buddies and go and climb rocks for a few years. I grew up with air rifles, you know, pigeon shooting, squirrel shooting, and that's how a lot of people do in the UK. And a lot of people never migrate beyond that. That's that's where it stops. Um, I got into aviation. So I did an aviation. I was into engineering. 
And that basically we were looking after aircraft that operated in remote parts of the world. So rather than go to the Bahamas, where everybody wanted to go to the Bahamas and go dive and sit on the beach, I'd go and see like Royal Nepal Airlines or Mm. somebody in Bangladesh Beeman because I wanted to go and climb and do things. So my job really helped me get to some very remote parts of the world at a very early stage. Um, Nepal is probably one of the coolest places I've ever been. Oh, Nepal is super cool. Yeah. It's amazing. Did you do it without getting ill? I did, actually, yeah. I was there there as a part of a humanitarian disaster relief team. Yeah. I was producing stories after the 2010 earthquakes in Kathmandu. And, uh, like I've, I've traveled pretty extensively through the world and that was probably like one of my favorite places I've ever been. Just like something mystical about it. I don't know. It's a magic place and they're magic people, aren't they? They are. Yeah, for sure. They are just a really wonderful race of people. Very, very tough. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly don't expect a lot out of life, but I, I, they're, they're, they're a really lovely race. And, um, yeah, I've got a lot of fondness for Nepal. So I used to go there quite a lot and, I'm not. I'm not what you'd call a high altitude climber. We did. I went with. Um, I went into Nepal to try and climb a mountain about six thousand meters with a very famous climber, a good buddy of mine, Simon Yates. But um, basically, they all let go at the top and got ugly. And thought the two guys were well, the one guy below me was killed. Actually, he wasn't. He, he was fine. But uh, yeah, and you said six thousand meters. So that's 6, like eighteen thousand so feet. feet. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. But it gets a lot higher <laughs> than that. And the thing is, over six thousand meters, you're dying. Whether it takes you twenty five minutes to die or six weeks, you're <laughs> so for me, I just it's it's torturing the body like that. There's limits. And particularly now, I'm at an age where I just probably couldn't cope with the cold anymore or the out. You just, your body just doesn't do what it did at 30, mm-hmm. as much as I keep lying to myself and pretending it does. Um, <laughs> but it, it definitely doesn't. But I, you yeah. know, hold, I hold up there with a, a lot of younger, fitter people. I just might take a little bit longer to get there. But I'm sure. But I, and I love it. But so early gearing life was aviation, traveling around the world, sort of doing engine overhauls and work. And then I got into um, set my own business up in aviation, got really into designing products and bits and pieces. On a sideline, I was uh, taking people out hunting. So we'd have continentals coming over to the UK. We'd take them out, guide them into roe deer hunting or fallow hunting or munchak. We got well, how did you get into that from? Um, because basically I've got friends that are landowners. Okay. And deer are a big problem, particularly in the southeast of the UK. We've got a huge population and there's just not enough people managing them. Gotcha. So it's, all, it's completely unlike the um what you've got in the states where you get a tag to shoot a deer you know it, there would have been maybe eight to ten of us managing six thousand acres so it's not a big amount of land but we'd have probably shot between 300 and 350 deer a year between wow. those eight to ten deer hunters yeah. so you'd actually be shooting a lot of animals so i grew up with an ethos that if there's five deer in front of me i probably want five dead deer in front of me. <laughs> not that I'm good enough to do that all the time, but you 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 really are trying to get the numbers right. down. And then we can sell our venison, unlike okay. you guys. So all of that meat will go straight back into the food chain and it's sold to game dealers or sold to restaurants. It's pretty cool. That yeah. I really like about the UK because it's nothing's wasted, eh? Um and uh, I'm not saying it's wasted in the States either. It's just a different mechanism. But sure. And we need that because there just aren't enough deer hunters in the UK managing the population at the moment. That's funny. Like in UK, there's too many deer, not enough hunters. In the US, there's too many hunters and not enough game. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably a fine balance between the two where you've got the sweet spot. Yeah. And I'd say New Zealand, getting back to that, has probably got that pretty well nailed. I'm sure people better qualified than me would say otherwise, but they've got a lot of public land. They've got very good standard of hunters, I'd say generally, um, and they tend to manage it well. Now, a lot of people go, God damn, Gearing doesn't know what he's talking about, but I, I, I get little flavours of these things. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert, but from an outsider's perspective, I'd say New Zealand's a pretty cool place to go hunting and it's yeah. accessible. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to come over here to the UK, you said, Gearing, I want to come and shoot Muntjac. Yeah, I could arrange that. But if you just wanted to land in the UK and you had like a week spare, it would be 
not saying impossible, but it might be quite challenging for right. you to do without spanking some serious money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, cool. Man. Well, I, I, well, anyway, yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. No, no. So basically, it, I grew up in a climbing world, got into hunting at a slightly later age, seriously into hunting. And then I got, um, I got very frustrated with some of the gear I was using. Mm. I thought, and, and I was looking at it with a climber's head as opposed to a hunter's head. So mm -hmm. I was looking at it to, from a pragmatic point of view about how do I make things more efficient? How do I make things simpler? And um, how do I achieve the goals and the results I want to achieve? And basically, I had a Harris bipod on the rifle, and it's a good tool. You're never going to hear me talking ill of Harris or Atlas. They're good tools. They do the job. But I thought for what I my particular needs and what mm -hmm. I wanted was something different because I didn't use a bipod very often. Most of the shots that I'd make in the UK would be standing from sticks on a high seat or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe one in every eight times I go hunting, I'd need a bipod. But when I did need it, I bloody well needed it. Yeah. You know, if I had five deer in the field and I thought I've got to get on this and they're 200 plus meters or 200 yards, Plus, I want, I'm not good enough to do those shots without a stable platform. And then um, this is a slight rabbit hole, but it will make sense, Hunter. We bought the nose of Concorde serial number six uh, that was basically a test nose for the Concorde fleet. Hmm. And when the Concorde stopped flying, that aircraft became redundant. And we bought the nose and turned it into a piece of art loved on a big sort of, it's like a statuey thing sits on an Olympus engine bearing, and the whole thing rotates. It looks sexy as hell <laughs> if you're into that kind of stuff. And the guy that uh, put it on this Olympus engine bearing, which was the bear, the engine that powered Concorde, covered the bearing because it was ugly in two clamshells using two rare earth magnets. And I went, whoa, these things are fantastic. Make me a bipod that goes on my rifle with one of these, please. Mm. That was the end of my genius. So I ended up getting this little leg, metal leg thing with a magnet, popped it in. I shot a lot of deer off that little Heath Robinson tool. I thought, actually, there's a better mark there. I think other people, it can't just be me that wants this because yeah. there must be a lot of other people that are fed up with having a bipod stuck on the rifle, getting caught in scrub and brush and blah, blah, blah. And then at the tender age of 50, I... It was a little bit earlier than that, but that's when we properly launched. We set up Spartan Precision and made these little stupidly lightweight carbon fiber bipods. You keep them in your pocket, you pop them on when you need them, you take mm -hmm. them off when you don't. They're not everybody's bag. You've got to be, I would say, you've got to be like an athletic hunter to really appreciate that. A lot of people don't have a weight issue. Then fine, keep a bipod on a rifle. That wasn't my bag. My bag was, I'm going to go into the mountains for a few days Everything I'm carrying is on my back. So I want to keep my weight to an absolute minimum. You know, I'd sure. have been the guy not taking a bipod and relying on a pack before and thought this thing weighs less than my phone. I can keep it in a pocket. And when I've got that critical shot, I know I've got a stable platform. Game changer for the right people. Yeah. So that was really the birth of Spahn. And it's only the last, I'd say, three or four years where it's really spooled up now. Um, people are starting to hear about Spahn. I think if you're people like you, Hunter, and, you know, mountain hunters, a lot of people know about us, but there's a lot of people that don't. And and I totally get that because we're doing a very specialist product. They're a bit like, it's an athlete, really. It's a long-distance runner. It's, it's not yeah. a shot putter. It's not, you know, a heavy lifter. So that was the birth of Spartan, and that took my life, getting back to the life story, into a completely different channel. Um, I don't make a lot of money anymore, but I have a hell of a lot of good times and meet mm -hmm. great people. And and it is building. The business is building. So it's an exciting, exciting time. And I get to do the things I love. I I would say I live a millionaire's life, but I don't have the checkbook to write, you know. <laughs> but all, a lot of mates of mine are very, very wealthy guys. And say, so you're doing the, all these wonderful things. I said, well, you yeah. can do it too. You've got the money. I'm just, I'm just living my dream, really. So I'm very lucky. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, one of my mentors a while back, like I heard him say, I'd rather be laughing in a Camry than crying in a Porsche. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm the same way, man. Like, yeah. I, I don't in my line of work, like, 
you know, I don't make much money, and I probably never will, to be honest, yeah. unless I develop some kind of crazy product line, like, you know, whatever, like multi-diversify. But, um, you know, I got into this because I want to do what I love, make what I consider my art, and document my adventures, and be able to, like, provide, like, a decent, respectable living. And like you said, like, live live an amazing life. Do I have a fat checkbook? No, but I live like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think, I don't think we're the mad ones. I think we're the ones, you're only on the planet yeah. for so long to fill your boots. But, you know, I've stuffed, I stuffed by literally this year, I, I think I'll be in the UK for less than five weeks. Wow. And last year would have been, maybe I'd have been at home for six weeks, tops. You know, I'm just constantly, it's one one place for another. But they're all things I choose to do. And they're mm-hmm. all part of building the business. So I have the best of both worlds. I'm I'm out there living it and breathing it and i'm developing products along this along the line as well and nobody can say there's a lot of cool engineers that just stay in a machine shop and develop stuff well i'm the other end of the spectrum i'm not necessarily a cool engineer but i'm living and breathe i if if i stand behind something it's because i've made that product what it needs to be and it might not be your ideal but it's pretty much where i want to be and Clearly, there's a lot of people like me that get it and go, oh, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. So it is making sense. Yeah. Um, and the irony was, I mean, seven years ago, I was told in Germany where we started, um, you'll never sell a bipod in Germany. Right. And uh, anyway, as of this year, every major German rifle maker is offering a rifle with that gunsmith adapter in their wow. stock. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Why uh, was it they were saying that it'd be so hard to get into the German market? Because they didn't like bipods. Oh. Uh, hmm. They didn't like bipods on the rifle. Well, we've answered that now because you just have the little adapter in the rifle and you can stick the bipod on afterwards. But yep. I don't want to turn this into a Spartan. Uh, no, no, that's cool. I mean, I've been I've been using y'all's products since I started backcountry hunting. Actually, right there is a Spartan adapter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Most, most, if not, yeah, pretty much all the rifles I use have an adapter on there. I started off with the the you know super lightweight javelin. I moved yeah. up to the pro hunt tack because yeah. I like having the versatility of the yeah. adjustable legs, and I've killed many of my most prized you know hunts. I've used. I keep it lives right on a a little. Bino. I guess it's that red kettle thing yeah, under yeah, my yeah, bino yeah. harness. Cool. Yeah. And I just whip that thing out, boom, it lives there. And um, I absolutely love it, man. So I, yeah. I've been using and loving your all's products for four years now. And, um, and I think you guys fit a great spot in the market. And again, like you said, it's their tool for the application. You know, is that is the bipod I use going to be like for a precision rifle shoot? Probably not. But that's not what I do. Like no. I'm a backcountry hunter. And you guys do make bipods that are more designed for precision rifles. But... Um, you got to pick the tools right for the job, right? But, but, but that's that, and that's the sweet spot. And you get that, and a lot of people get it. But there's also a lot of people that don't. And I always get quite frustrated. People compare us with other, but I said it's not. It's it's a specialist tool, and it right. really is a specialist tool, and it's quite niche. I said it's not for everybody. And I said if I was on the range, yeah, I'd be happy to use an Atlas or a Harris or whatever, but. Yeah. If I'm, I'm not a big guy, I don't want to carry anything. This tool does what I need it to do. And with the with the fact that you can cant them and orbit yeah. with them, it's a real game changer for hunting. But I was contacted by your US SEALs, um, God, a long time ago. And they said, we really like your idea, your bipod. And I said, well, it's for hunting. And they said, well, we hunt people. I thought, well, fair <laughs> enough. So I went and spent some time with them and we developed some other products and really it's only this year that now the defense products are where they, I mean, I'm super excited about those, but that's a whole different family of products. And sure. If I was a tactical shooter, I think you call them NRL or NRA, NRA shooters. That what we're doing now is very much fits into that bracket, but I won't even make an adapter for a conventional um, hunting rifle for this system because it's not an alpine tool. It's it's something else. Yeah. So they've got different requirements and needs. But the whole Spartan family is all about modularity. It's basically Lego, Lego mm. bricks. 
you have the heads, you have the legs, and you can do whatever you like. We're not dictating to people. So Yeah, you have those cool little um, adapters that you can put on like pretty much anything, like any type of tripod or anything really and then you can just magnetically boop right on there i got one of those guys yeah yeah those things are cool so it's all it's a family of stuff so whether you're in a high seat tree stand whatever you want to call it or you're glassing from a vehicle there's going to be a mechanism to either use optics or a rifle from that system and we've taken it on a step further now we've got the ascent tripod which for me taking a tripod to the mountains i get it but there's often a time that I would not take it because I can't afford the weight. Right. So what I've done is I've married a tripod and trekking poles all in one unit. So all mm. of the legs just unscrew, very, very strong carbon. Um, and I can screw those legs into the tripod body to make the tripod. Yeah. Um, and that is an epic little tool. And that obviously uses the same adapter as the bipod. So then you've got the bipod and the tripod and you can do your glassing and shooting off it. So yeah. And I think so more. Many. I was just say I think more and more hunters in the U.S., especially I see, are bringing tripods in the field. Now I'm kind of weird because I pretty much usually bring two because I'm filming yeah. and glassing, uh, yeah. which is insane. But um, but yeah, a quality tripod as far as glassing and then because I I really my go to method for glassing I really like binos on a tripod if I can yeah. do it, um, and then and then being able to use that as your rifle rest or, you know, maybe your rear rest, you know, um, there's a lot of good applications for it. So I think more and more guys are bringing tripods, but, um, one thing I do, I've seen it a little bit, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about it is this new system you have and forgive me, I don't know what it's called, but it's yeah, got the, the rubberized, like oh, yeah, yeah, they, top so, section. So again, while I was blowing hernias up and, uh, <laughs> in Scandinavia, um, awful in basically has contracts um, to manage pests, problems. So, and one of those contracts was to eradicate or tackle red foxes where they're encroaching on silver foxes up in the Arctic. Mm. Um, Because if the red foxes get up there, they kill the silver foxes and such like. So he got a job where he'd go up in the high Arctic, shoot red foxes, but he wanted a system that was really quick and adaptable to use because he does a lot of predator calling and such like. And, the problem with bipods and tripods by their very nature is they're mechanical things and you've got levers and you, you have to move them. Yeah. And tripods can be really awkward. Um, so what he wanted was something that would behave like that, but much quicker to use. So, and it was his idea really, not mine. And he wanted a slick and he wanted a rubber bodied bipod basically. Hmm. So we developed that up there and this is a silicon body because rubber will is much more temperature sensitive gotcha. it's cold it's going to get stiff the silicons behaves better and then inside there's a metal spring welded to three nuts and you can screw any legs you like on that hunter but mm. the tool is absolutely wickedly good for what it's designed for and that's managing animals quickly so in new zealand we had a goat management two days we shot a hundred goats in wow. two days of those systems wow. and we would not have got anywhere close to that number without it because it was so quick and adaptable and also he's a much better shot than me so he's very quick on it <laughs> that tool is <coughs> for what it's for is it a precision tool no it's absolutely not is it a management tool yes it absolutely is if i was going up to scotland to shoot hinds their cows whatever you call them mm-hmm. um that tool would definitely be in my bag because it's going to get me over the scrub. In Scotland, we've got the heather, you've got sage and all those kind of yeah. things. If you're doing antelope hunting, speed goats, that thing would be phenomenal for that because it's just so flexible. Yeah. It's called the springbok. It has a little leg, probably, I'd say, 18 inches long, maybe, and it doubles up. So you can do everything from sitting on your backside to kneeling. And then mm. if you want to run it as a standing system, if I was going to Africa, for example, I'd just put a couple of long legs in it. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty easy to That's, use. Seems like a pretty, yeah, it seems like a pretty cool tool because you know, everybody wants to get prone if you can. Yeah. But, um, I mean, a, a lot of times it's just not an option, like you said, because of brush or grass or whatever. Um, and you don't always have the time to sit there and set up a tripod. 
Um, so having something that kind of hits that sweet spot of being, like you said, quick to deploy when you're not able to get prone and you don't have really the time to set up a tripod. That seems pretty cool. Well, I failed my own test the other day because before I was in New Zealand, I was in with some friends in Australia, in southern Australia. And Mel, a friend of mine, she took me out hunting um, for the samba deer there. And we had an epic day and I screwed up. I basically, she said, if we see these things, chances are they're going to see us before we see them. She did a, she did everything right and I did everything wrong. So I was tracking around after Mel for the morning and uh, it was on a real, like, a, we'd call it a hanger, very steep ground, uh-huh. so like uh, gum trees. So it's very noisy because it's all dry. Anyway, she got me into this samba deer, but I was at such a steep angle um, a bipod would have been no good because yeah. I, and I was trying to put, and what I needed was that springbok. Had I had that springbok, mm. I would have been able to nail that samba. And I said, I just can't get comfortable enough on this to take the shot. Yeah. And by that time, the samba had gone and it was game over. And uh, yeah, it's back to the truck and treading on a brown snake on the way back nearly. Well, that yeah. Would have made, uh, really but yeah, I so had I had that product, that would have almost certainly been a dead deer. Yeah. Given that I didn't have it, I lost the opportunity. And yeah. Um, yeah, pretty annoying when you make stuff and you don't bring it with you. I can only slap myself about for that one. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, just the last thing I'll say on on that. I mean, um, like I liked this just came to my mind, but like I shot one deer last year and I was shooting uphill and I'd had to have my bipod like completely extended and on top of a pack. Yeah. And, but like, sometimes you don't have a level surface. So like I had one leg, like all the way out and one like yeah. halfway out. That's another thing where you can adjust. It just seems like it's, um, it's well suited for hunting. It's got, it's adjustable so that, you know, or, you know, if, if you're on a slippery surface, you can take the boots off and it's got the tungsten carbide tip on there. So it's kind of, it's just purpose built for you know, if you, it's not made for a 15 pound rifle going to the range and shooting a mile, it's made for what I do, which is mountain hunting. And it's, it's really well designed for that. So, and for, and for that element, it's golf perfect. clap. Sorry. Golf yeah. clap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but it's like, as I say, I just got back with the Polish special forces. So I was with, um, uh, they're Formosa guys, which are like your SEAL teams or our boat service guys, really. And then I was um, down meeting uh, a sniper unit. And there's another group. Like, anyway, That's four different cool. little units. Small, guys, small teams, but very capable people, good at what they do. And the whole ethos of what we were doing there was I was getting to shoot, getting to shoot off mini tripods. So... Mm. We have two military products, uh, Hercules, which will come into the civil market, but that's a that's a big, heavy tool. Um, and I was getting them on like a 338 or 50 cal running these little tripods because just exactly what you said with the ball head in the tripod and now tripods that's built into the body. So the center of gravity is really low um, and I run and our tripods are modular so I could put little legs on them. It's really like a little mini shooting support system. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly, you know, we're in the snow on angles. We could do so much with that that you couldn't do on a conventional bipod. Because yeah. if you imagine about it, you're stuck on two legs um, and it's it's not sexy. So having that tripod, if you can carry it and such like, is an advantage. But it's different tools. I always say to people, it's all a compromise. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm the kind of guy that will cut my toothbrush in half. So weight is <laughs> I will make huge sacrifices to save a few pounds. Yeah. Because right? I'm just an old knackered bald man and I want to get out there and I want to do what I can, what I can, with as little pain as I possibly can get away with. So yeah. I'll make huge, I will carry a lightweight rifle. I have lightweight optics. I don't want heavy systems. If my trekking poles can turn into my tent, you know, that's, that's me, but it's not for everybody. We're all yeah. different. hundred yeah. percent. man. And that must be really cool. Oh, we're going to say something else. No, no, no. no okay. No, I was going to say that must be really rewarding, uh, being able to work with, uh, military units and stuff like that. I have a lot of respect for that. So, um, that's cool. You're able to help, you know, help our guys out, um, with, with quality gear. So hats off to you there on that one. Um, Shifting gears a little bit here, because, like I said, I think you're a super interesting guy. 
Um, I just got to say, like, what is it with British people? You guys do, like, the most epic crap, like, in the world. Like, if you're, like, in Nepal or, like, Uganda and you see some dude, like, on a bike by himself pulling all his gear for, like, a month, it's pretty much guaranteed it's a British guy. You know, like, you guys just, like, do crazy epic stuff. What's up with that? I don't. I, it's a very – you're probably right. I mean, next year <laughs> we're planning to walk across Greenland. Yeah, um, I heard about that on the Backcountry Hunting Podcast. That sounds yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, and it, yeah, but we don't get killed in the process. But um, <laughs> it was my, my, my son and his mate, Nick, who works with me, they were going to do it. We were up in Greenland a few years ago, and these um, Norwegian SF guys came off the other end. They said, we're going to have a bit of that. So I said, you're nice. not going without me. You're going to drag an helmet. So we're, there's, <laughs> and we might take, I've got a friend that's a one-legged sniper. Oh, it's a comedy of errors, this. And um, anyway, so we're going to, we'll probably do it for a military charity, you know, amputees cool. and blah, blah, blah. And so that's what we're working on at the moment. And we'll probably work with some sexy brands and basically try and get a bit of TV cover on it. We'll make a film. But yeah, start the East Coast, pop off at the West, um, avoid the polar bears. They're not a problem in the West. They're a problem on the East. I, mm. I, I did some climbing in Greenland a few years ago, and the East Coast is a lot more bears down there than there are on the West. It's really not an issue. But, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's just something about, like, I don't know if it goes back. <laughs> I don't know if it goes back to, uh, sorry, I don't know if it goes back to, like, the old, like, like, colonialism and like exploration or something but like um i don't know i just feel like uh there's something about uh british people that you guys just do epic stuff like one of my favorite like non-hunting adventure films ever is a uh, long way around have you seen that with you and mcgregor oh yeah yeah but if you they take the bikes all the way around the world well, like i just fun. love that stuff oh amazing but you know where they got that idea from mondo enduro Right. If you haven't seen Mondo Enduro, you look that up and I guarantee you will you you'll gorge yourself on it. So Mondo Enduro were a bunch of like one's a school teacher, one worked on the station. They had no money. They were yeah. on DR Suzuki 400s <laughs> and they basically went all the way around the world on a shoestring. It's epic. That's and so basically cool. Ewan McGregor got that idea from those lads and did it properly and they did a fantastic job. Yeah. But Mondo Enduro is done on a shoestring and it's so funny and it's so cool and I've got nothing but respect. And they are the mad exploring Brits that you talk about. Yeah. Fantastic film. Um, I'll have to check that yeah, out. That Because Long I'm Way sure Around, fun. Long Way Around, like, inspired me. So I, I rode dirt bikes as a kid. Um, but after I saw a long way around that inspired me, I got a bike and started riding again, started doing some, you know, mini adventures like, uh, you know, like, you know, some camping trips and stuff like that. And, um, and I still have a, uh, you know, an on off road. It's a Suzuki V-Strom. Um, yeah. not, not the, uh, G although I did have a BMW GS at one point, but I sold it cause it was like owning Heavy a freaking bike. car. Yeah. yeah, and the taxes on it, and just like the maintenance was insane. So, uh, sold that one. But um, I've always wanted to do some kind of epic hunting adventure on motorbikes. Have you ever tried anything like that? No, I, we do. I tend not to hunt. So we we're going down to Patagonia to ride bikes. It's a, a mate of mine, Daniel, that runs Moto Patagonia down in uh, Patagonia. Yeah. but on the chilly side <laughs> super he's american super cool lad uh his brother's big into hunting and i'm going down there in april this year and we're going to be riding bikes Dirt, i've done it a couple of times before it's great country for it both in chile and argentine um and me and uh, a mate of mine he he's a pilot for british airways he's actually the guy that crash landed the triple seven in 2008 it's called Kitty. And I used to climb a lot with him, uh, but as we got older, we don't do that so much anymore. And yeah. um, But we've got a couple of Hondas in France, because he lives in France, and we're gradually ticking off the trans-alpine. Right? And that's, do you know, it's on our doorstep, and it's fantastic. The bikes are, they're Honda 250, like, mm -hmm. and they're underpowered for it. And we're, you know, we could do with a, a few more brake horsepower for sure because some of those hills are a bit grotty and but we do it really light we do it with light camp tents take a bit of um dried food and bottle of wine for the evening it's it's epic <laughs> it's great fun yeah 
And we did it last year. We were out there in May, but there was a few snow passes we just couldn't get through, hadn't yeah. melted off. And this year, I think we'd do some in June, but like you, I absolutely love them. And uh, it's another passion of mine. I'm not big into, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad about anything. I love it all. I yeah. like all the flavours. Like I like to try a little bit of it. So I said to people, I'm, I'm not a master of it. People, you know, long range shooters say, oh, you must. I said, no, no. I've got my, I've got my binoculars. It's 400 metres. I'll do my turret. Job done. Yeah. Right. But if I need more skill sets than that, I know people that have got those skill sets. Yeah. So I can call upon about like some of the world's best people to help give me that knowledge. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm probably a difficult person to teach stuff because I'm not a brilliant. I have to be passionate about something. And I'm always trying to look for the simplest way to move from A to B. And yeah. that's just how the brain works, I guess. Oh, that's cool, but, man. Yeah. Motorbikes, you've got to get yourself down to Patagonia. But you do not want to be taking a GS down there because if you drop them, you've got to pick them up and you will drop them. So oh, yeah. There's gravel tracks, but it's great fun. It's great fun. Yeah. I dropped mine yeah. a couple of times, but um, I don't know. Yeah, they are super heavy. I mean, when I dropped mine, it wasn't loaded down with, like, you know, a week's worth of gear or anything. So, but, um, yeah, man. So, I don't know. Any um, – any cool new stuff for Spartan uh, this year that there's, you can talk about? There's or? a load. So, shot. I'm literally hopping on a flight this Saturday um, back out to the States to do shot show. Okay, on, I'm going to be there. We should link up. Uh, you you come along. That would be wonderful. So, we're on the big boys' floor, first time ever. Nice. So, we've always been down in the cellar before. And they said, do you want to be on the big boys' floor? And I said, yeah, <laughs> we'll have a bit of that. Um, and then I've got all of the defense products there that as i say will migrate across to the tactical shooters and such like so you'll see a whole host of new goodies um i'm very these don't replace what we've done they complement them you know the javelin bipod now that you've got the pro hunt tack there's nothing i can do with that so absolutely yeah. where it needs to be. doesn't need anything yeah and i and i will i what will i use when i go hunting that's exactly what i'm going to continue using but now there's more horses in the stable would be a good analogy. So, you know, if you want if you want a heavy duty, so we've got everything. We've got a 50 cow bipod. Oh, nice. The crate. So that's super cool. So if you're running 338s and 50 cow, we've got a big heavy boy for that. And it's not heavy, but it's really a cool tool. And then we've got the um the Vida bipod, um, which basically and our bipods, all the legs store backwards, so they don't get caught. You know, if you're running things, I always thought, well, why have bipod legs sticking out the front and they quick deploy from the back, 45 degrees from the front, and they all can engage on the rifle really quickly and you can pull them off, but you can hang on them. They're not going to, they don't use the magnet. They use a disc lock system, which is a, a new system we painted it just mm. because it's a different tool. So, yeah, there's a whole host of goodies. You'll have to come along, but yeah. give yourself an hour to walk through it all. It's uh Definitely. It's, there's a lot going on. But it, as I say, it's Lego. You know, you could take a javelin leg, for example, and put it on one of the new bipods, and they share a lot of components. Yeah. Nice, man. I, I'm excited about that. We did a, we did, we're working with Primus. They're under license, but they're using our mag, magnetic system now. And I think that's really helping the brand get out there because we're a little company in the UK. We employ 15 people. We're pretty small, but Primus have done a fantastic job in helping spread the brand awareness. And, uh, you know, we're not going to get rich out of that, but it helps the name and it helps the knowledge. And people, you know, can migrate to our stuff or they can go to Primus. And we're different market sectors, you know. So yeah. I don't think it's a nice relationship because we're not really competing in each other's turf. Yeah, You know, we don't make cheap products. Have you accessible to many people, should I say? Yeah. Have you um have you had any, you know, issues um being that you're based in the UK and you know it's kind of oh. anti gun, but that's really. a whole nother podcast, Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could really go off on one on that. I mean I we set up a new business for the defense, we couldn't even get a bloody bank account over here. Oh and my I gosh. said, Are you kidding me? I said I'm this is all legal stuff, it's all legit. I wrote to our prime minister. I get pretty vocal about such things. I just think it's absolute lunacy going on. To be fair, now we've got a brilliant bank came on board and they're doing what they said. They've been absolutely 
fantastic. But we could have very easily not been able to start the business because I couldn't get a bank account. That's not me borrowing money. That's just me having a bank yeah. account. And this, and then the banks are taking it upon themselves to say, well, we're not really into hunting, uh, sorry, defence. Well, then, thank you, Putin knocked on the door of the Ukraine and now it's all sexy again. So yeah. it just shows how insanely stupid we have become in this country. Um, yeah. I'm... I'm not an Anglo. I, I just, I, I'm, I've got to that age where I've grown up in a country I was very proud of, and I'm now seeing it falling apart at the seams and thinking, come on, people, yeah. you know, let's stop worrying about the tr- strawberries in the sh- fridge when the ship's sinking, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, it, no, it's not pretty, and it's, it's, and actually, you go to Poland, right? They're spending money on infrastructure. Their roads were fantastic. They t- you know, we're becoming, when I was growing, I used to go and do a bit of work in Poland when I was much younger, and it was not third world, but it was much more behind the UK. Now, I go to Poland and say they're much further advanced than we are here. We're just too worried about silly little trivia yeah, and the handles from COVID and all that crap and not worried about the big issue. But, yeah. Another podcast of that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I bet that's tough. I mean, especially since it's, like, it, you know, you, it's not like you're making guns. You're making bipods. So it's... they're making bipods and tripods. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have believed it. If somebody had told me that, and I said, "No, you're bullshitting me," but I, pr- I swear to you, that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just... you can you can see it in the social media stuff how they're, um, you know, shadow banning stuff, um, and oh. even even for me, like that's one reason why. I, started getting into the like linear TV production is because I have a background in TV production, but also like um, it kind of scared me building an entire business off YouTube because literally YouTube could decide next week. Okay. No more hunting. You guys are done. And uh, like, what do you do then? So it's, and I hope, you know, there's still a lot of bright spots, you know, over here in the States and, you know, I'm the same way. I love my country, but I have big problems with the government, especially the current like regime that we're under. But if you want to call it that, but you know what, what I'm always reminded of is what makes America great. And what America is, is the American people, not the the American government. Yeah. 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 Because the government I've kind of, I'm with you, man. I got, you know, still I'm loyal to the U S you know, I'm loyal to my country and everything like that. And in the military, but every, like the woke politics has just gotten so deeply ingrained into every level um, it's, I, I lose more and more faith. It seems like every day in the federal government, but the American people are still, are still good people. So hopefully there's hope that we can avoid some of the stuff that, uh, you know, that has happened in the UK. Well, I think I, I let me put an analogy to this. I think 90% of people, good, 90% of people are great people. Yeah. Right. We can all agree. I that. agree. Across the world. And, I mean, everywhere yeah, you go, yeah. I've learned most people are basically good people. Yeah, when you sit down for a cup of tea or coffee or beer with somebody, you tend to have a lot more in common than you don't. For sure. I think what's happened is we've all sat there, and I'm guilty as the next person, and let this kind of crap build up, and we've sat there and not done anything about it. I actually think I'm a little bit more positive now than I was a year ago. I think people have had enough, and I think people are saying, I'm not interested in which toilet you go in right or what you're into on sex and such like whether you like men women i'm indifferent to it i don't care right but don't wear it as a badge and don't make it as a statement and if you are really that bothered about it go and spend 24 hours on the ukraine front line right now and we'll seriously discuss which toilet you want to go into right i'm just so done with it and the problem is i'm quite direct speaking about things like that because i need to be i think we all need to be saying Piss off, guys. Not interested. You can dye your hair pink, but don't wear it as a badge. Yeah. Right? It's nothing worth celebrating. What your sexuality is, is in your time, in your, behind your, you do what you like. I'm not judging you for it. Yeah. But don't make it a statement and don't feel the world owes you a favor. Right. There's and try to shit. impose your values on me and my children. Yeah. Yeah. Your values. I I posted something on Instagram oh, a couple of years back about a kid, a an Afghan giving their baby to an American soldier, right? And I said, now that gets my attention. That's somebody that doesn't even know where they've got a future that's giving up their most precious 
precious thing to somebody they don't even know because they know it's a shitstorm. And mm. you have the audacity to talk to me about what cross genders not interested, mate. Not yeah. interested. Yeah. So it's it's that important to me, right? Yeah. Um, so, and I think we've got to start banging that back now. And when people get offended about pronouns, do you know what I would swear now if I could? <laughs> but I'd say I said I'm not interested. That's yeah. me politely responding. It's just not even an issue. We've yeah. got the world's gone mad with bollocks and we need to debollock it bollocks uh, for I sure think. man <laughs> yeah sorry Hunter, but i just I, uh, I that's the ranting of an old man that's just been no. on the planet probably too long rant and, away man yeah and grown up in a situation where it was very good and comfortable and we could blame it all on supermarkets we could blame it on all sorts of things we distance ourselves from food We've distanced that. We just we use like a contraceptive for everything now. Everything's about protecting yes. and not actually engaging. And that's why people like you and I go to the mountains, isn't yep. it? To get a bit of sanity and therapy and switch off. It's weird. It's almost like um the system or whatever you want to say is like trying to get us further away from what makes us human. Yeah. Like our gender, our yeah. connection to providing for ourselves our freedom our you know make, getting our own food it's like they want to they want to make you live in your pod eat crickets and be a genderless like freak with no identity <laughs> well who's the microsoft guy what's his name bill, bill gates. gates i mean his plans that guy i'm sorry i don't want to be on a world. yeah i don't want to be on a world where i'm eating your stupid grown protein right now no. The whole thing, the trophy is a perfect word. People go, oh, they all get their knickers in a twist about trophies. And I say, it's just the language we're using, people. Right? A yeah. trophy is a memory on the wall. You've got lots of them behind you. You it, put a smile on your face, but you'll remember the whole thing. You remember eating the meat with your It's almost a celebration of the animal, right? Totally. That's yeah. how it is. A trophy is is just the wrong word. No. And people use it and twist these things in a way that actually you know is completely wrong, but stupid people listen. Yeah. There's so much ignorance, too, because, I mean, if you really were to break it down, quote-unquote trophy hunting, where you're selecting an old, mature animal, is actually better for the herd. Like, you oh. need to take those guys out and let the young bucks procreate. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I – you know, it's, it's the hunter's dichotomy. Like I love deer. I love antelope. I love elk. I also love killing them and eating them. And I love yeah. sitting around the table with my three kids, my wife, my mother-in-law and, and saying, and like remembering suffering, carrying that caribou through, you know, five miles across the tundra. And we're sitting here now, you know, and checking in on an airplane and going buying dry ice and all that crap. So I can sit here and, and, and enjoy this and just have that reward and, and the health benefits too, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I have these skulls here, but like I said, that's just a remembrance of the of the moment. And for me, the real, you know, it sounds cliche probably, but just as much as the antlers, the trophy for me is is sitting there and, and enjoying a meal as a family, knowing that like I I went and got this animal. But but it's not cliche, and we should be proud to say. It. And the thing is, isn't that what being human is? Yeah. Like, isn't it? It's only the last 20 years where it's suddenly become not sexy to do these things. Yeah. Every vegan that is on the planet today is a result of somebody that's gone and killed things. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 So, so it's the rules are changing now and they're just insane. And yeah. as you say, I think, yeah, there's always there's always the dark horse, but 99% of the hunters out there really love the animals, love the... The reason we still have hunting is because people look after environments. You yep. only need look at Africa where they banned hunting and look at the disastrous consequences Oh, my of gosh. That. Yeah. Yeah. I've been and to Uganda. Know. We drove for like six hours through the countryside. I did not see one single wild animal like anywhere. Like they're just no, not there won't. except for in areas where they're managed for hunting. Yeah. So all these people that sit there and judge when they've become a 30 second expert, as I say, I just say, go and actually visit the places you're talking about. And then let's revisit this conversation, have an adult conversation, although I'm not yeah. even wasting my time with you, mate. But or go um, check out how inhumane a modern meat operation is compared to hunting. Well, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. It, exactly. So what I say, and I've done it with two vegans before, I've said, 
right, you come hunting with me, right? We'll have a day together and then you go and spend a day on an intensive meat farm. Yeah. Right. I'm not judging either because we need them both. Sure. But I'm very fortunate that I'm able to hunt my meat. And both of them, with respect, actually came away with a very different viewpoint. I'm not saying they're going to go and pull the trigger on right. something, but they understood it. My missus, she's French. When I met her, she was very anti-hunting. She now she's not a big meat eater, but she actually has got to the stage now where she says, Well, I almost feel a hypocrite not hunting. And I I know if it went wrong, and it can go wrong, and it does go wrong, it would upset her tremendously. Sure. So I've actually said, don't pull the trigger on it, darling, because if you shot one and you, you'd never forgive yourself. Yeah. And as a hunter that's hunted a lot, I have made my fair share of mistakes. Sure. And I have yeah, to I'll go hard and live with the consequences. And any real hunter will actually acknowledge that and say, I don't feel good about myself, but it happens. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of life, isn't it? Things 100%. things don't die well in nature, right? No. You know, you see all these wildlife programs where they name all these, like Jimmy the lion or Sid the leopard. Well, they want to see Sid the leopard when it's starving out or the rhino that's starving because its teeth have gone. And yep. that's where well-managed game hunting, trophy hunting, if you want to use that word, whatever, really comes into its own. I was in Namibia with Joseph on Benedict and Adam Weatherby. Cool. Um, we had an amazing time. We shot a giraffe that was very old. 4,200 4, mil portions we worked out that giraffe wow. we done for the local community. Right. I shot a management um, buffalo. And within 24 hours, the only thing that was left of that buffalo was the green on the ground. They'd used every yeah. single part of that animal all i got were the testicles and the tongue and we had those and then <laughs> yeah. the hey the tongue is great you know, man if you know how to cook it tongue's fantastic yeah um and the testicles are good as well and i this this i just i was in mongolia this year with some american mates and we had a great time hunting ibex and they in in mongolia they got different they actually bleed the animal and drink the blood um mm. and they think it's very good for the joints so we had a go at that as well i'm not sure oh i saw that video on your social media i was like whoa <laughs> i tried it with a tar in new zealand as well but uh, yeah yeah i don't i'm gonna make a habit of it i probably picked up some interesting parasites along yeah the probably yeah maybe they'll fix <laughs> the hernia while they're in there yeah sorry <laughs> so there's a little bit of a lag so we keep cutting it's okay though but yeah i was just gonna say i mean at the same time while we get very passionate about this like just to kind of bring it to a landing on this subject um, same way, like I've had several conversations, some even on social media and some like, you know, on airplanes or whatever. Um, if you're, if you're understanding to a person and you are calm, most of them that are anti hunters are just ignorant and don't know anything about what they're talking about and just are coming at it from an emotional perspective. So if you can like rein your emotions back and, and just logically talk to them and, and in a loving way, um, nine times out of 10, at the end of that conversation, they're like, oh, wow, well, that's that's cool. I can respect that, you know? So um, I think it's our responsibility as people who love hunting to not to, to be better than them and to not fly off the handle and just start cussing them out or whatever. Have those conversations. Um, you know, it might, they might not all go well. You know, some people are just never going to hear it. But nine times out of ten, like, you, you can get someone to be like, okay, I can I can see your point. So it's actually far more rewarding to do that as well. For sure. I did it in Namibia, came back for four British women and they said, what have you been doing? I said, I've been hunting. They said, oh, the conversation stops. And I said, well, would you, have you got 20 minutes and I can explain? And I talked her through everything and she said, well, we've been hunting, we've been living off Ibex or Oryx, sorry, all week. And I said, well, where do you think that came from? Right. But, and it's, no, I don't get aggressive. I think you've lost the game if you get for aggressive. Sure. I get a bit vocal on the because we're preaching to the converted. Yeah. So we can if I'm I'm very careful when I meet an anti-hunter that I will take that time and effort and put that energy into trying to get them to see another way. Mm -hmm. Because I think the danger of social media is good and as it can be, it can also be great at making somebody an instant expert. I'm guilty yeah. of it. And you get a little bit of information fed to you yep. from some some entity that doesn't necessarily want to feed it accurately and then suddenly you know something well you don't really know something but you have an opinion which is very dangerous yeah if you don't have the knowledge so 
I spend a lot of time doing that. And I do think it's turning. I think things like Me T to TV, NZ Hunter and these programmes, um, love them or hate them, one thing they are doing well is they're making people aware that it's all about the field to fork stuff. And I think anybody that's doing that has got to be congratulated. Um, yeah. We need more of it. Yeah. Yeah, we do need that for sure. Um, last couple things here. You mentioned, you just real quick, you mentioned Ukraine a couple of times. Did you see that thing recently about that Ukrainian sniper that came out and said he made a over a two-mile shot? No, I haven't seen that. No. Okay. No. Apparently, like this uh, Ukrainian sniper broke his cover to uh, claim the new world record, uh, longer, uh, more than two mile shot. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you'd seen that. Yeah. No, but, I'll, um, I'll look it up though. So the guys yeah. I've been, these are the pole, these are the Polish guys though, but they're um, yeah, very capable bunch. Um, I bet. And, uh, and excellent command of English, really capable, know their stuff. I mean, I wouldn't want to be fighting on the other side, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they're all tooling up because they can see where things are going and uh yeah. The fact they wanted to see some of my equipment, I should be pretty proud of it really and it and You should. Really that's cool. that's amazing, man. Like some of the best warfighters in the world are using your all stuff. And I I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is where lots of Navy SEALs are based. So I have a lot of friends that are former SEALs or current SEALs and um there's something different about those guys. They're like, they're not soldiers, they're warriors. And so, yeah, yeah. um, and, and there's something different about those guys. And so to, to have them, you know, coming to you and, and using your gear, I mean, that's, that says a lot, man. I, you should definitely be proud yeah. of that. And what was really good for me was they got it in the fact they said, well, you're not selling bipods and tripods, but you're selling a system. Hmm. You know, this is a, and I said, that's what I want to hear, right? I'm not yeah. dictating to you. If you're on the side of a mountain or in a building, you can build what you need if you've got the, yeah. you know. So, and we are not fixing the world. We're just changing the flavor of it and uh, and giving people more tools, which obviously, you know, I'm pretty proud of. And it's not just me. It's I work with some fantastic people. And it can be quite, it can be difficult at times because you all have some very strong opinions, but you're foolish if you don't listen to those people with their expertise and their areas and try and involve, and you can't do it. You can't do everything, but we're working pretty hard for a little company to punch well above our weight. And yeah. We seem to be making good progress. For sure, man. You guys work with some of the best in the business. So um, last question. Um, if you like, if someone's like, okay, I want to do an international hunt kind of sky's the limit. I can go anywhere I want um where like what's the coolest international or like where would you send somebody for their if they could only do like one international hunt I, I, any of the stands i'd go to yeah. because you totally but as long as you embrace it you don't go there with an american or british viewpoint you go there and say i want to live like you know i want to go to tajikistan kyrgyzstan um any of those would be great i'm i would love to go to nepal and hunt um, I've climbed there and I think that'd be epic. And the other one I'm trying to target at the moment, I'm going to meet with some of your, maybe the guys at Taurus. I'm pretty friendly with some of those and they're coming out with a new toy. And I think I'd love to go to Pakistan on a pool mm. with those guys. They're good lads. So any, I like anywhere there's mountains. I think you've got some spectacular hunting in the US. It's very different, eh? but For it's, sure. you've got, Look at your back. I can see why people don't leave the States because you've got so many different flavors in one country. Well, it's 50 different countries, I call it. Right. You all share the same language. But, um, yeah, we're very blessed here. And with the opportunity on public land, it's, we're very blessed. Yeah. And you might complain that there's too, I can get it too many people going, but hey, ho, we should celebrate that, shouldn't we? The fact that they're all going out there. You just got, you just got to walk a bit further. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And there's not, there's really, I don't think there's anywhere in the in the world that's quite like, I mean, there might be some close places, but uh, yeah, we're very blessed with the amount of public land we have and the ability to use it. So, um, and I try to not look at other hunters as competition or pressure. I'd say that fellow hunters, they're pr- probably like-minded guys just trying to do the same thing I want to do. So, yeah. uh, like I said, it's still, it's even here, even on, I proved it out this year to myself, even on a, crowded general season hunt in a high pressure area if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra work you can still get away and get your own spots you can yeah yeah now well that's and that's what you've got to keep doing and that's great and that needs to be celebrated yeah yeah 
Well, cool, man. Well, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. I've enjoyed talking to you and definitely want to come meet you in person at SHOT Show. But um, where can folks go if they want to check out some of your awesome products? So Spartan Precision Equipment, that's our website. You can go there. There's some very good companies now selling our products in the States. I'd encourage them to do that because obviously they're not being shipped from here. Right. The Antelope on Amazon sells products. Um, Amy at Brandy Rock Canyon sells it, G4 Archery. They're over on Oregon Way. But there's a load of good – and I'm hoping we're going to be in Shields this year, which would be cool. Nice. Love to be in there because I think the products work well for a store like that. For sure. Well, cool, man. Um, thanks again, and uh, look forward to meeting you in person at the show. Look forward to seeing you in a week or two, Hunter. Yeah, sounds good, man. Thanks. <laughs>